I am glad you're with us. And, um, you know, it was funny. We were uh, talking this week, Jerome and I, and he was telling me a little bit about a, uh, a video he was watching. And it, it was made by the guy. And it was called Inside Man. Correct, Jerome? And uh, it's, a, it's a documentary. It's about the, the guy who actually did the documentary on um, uh, the McDonald's uh, Super Size Me. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember that one that, that really made me never want to eat at McDonald's ever again. But uh, he's, he's doing this uh, where he's investing in people's lives. He's taking a look at, at the lives of people over the span of a week. And what he did, and one of them, is he was, uh, he was doing a thing on faith. And in the process of doing the thing on faith, he actually went to a church. And if I remember correctly, uh, he walked into this church, and it was actually a faithless community. It was a faithless church. And you get to thinking, you say, how can, how can you have a faithless church? Well, this church would gather together, and in the process of gathering together, they would sing some pop songs, some top 40 songs. They would have a good message in the process of, of what is going on uh, in the world, whether it was just on something on hope or on, on whatever it might be. And then they would get together and would hang out, and then they would leave. And I thought to myself, man, that is a crazy thought. How in the world can you possibly hold a faithless church. And then I got to thinking, how many churches do that now? They consider God to be part of it, that they get together and they sing some popular songs and they, they have a message that is, makes them feel good and then they walk out and that's, that's all that it is. And all I could think about after Jerome had told me and he'd watched that video, I said, you know, I, I just pray that that is never us. That we're never to the point that when we're singing songs, they're just to sing songs. And we're hearing a message, it's just to feel good. I always am praying for you, and I'm praying for me, and I'm praying that God uses it in a way to say, hey, I'm doing things here, and I'm using you in the process. And we celebrate that fact. And as a matter of fact, that's what we celebrated two weeks ago when we had our 300th Sunday. And we celebrated all the things that God is doing. And then we moved from that into a relaunch last week. And as we moved into that relaunch, we talked about uh, what God can do and what God will do through Paragon over the next 300 weekends. And I'm excited about what God is going to do. And as we talked about that relaunch, we really refocused on come as you are, be changed, and go change the world. We refocused on that being our our mission. and, And we said, you know, there's three big things we need to do. One is to refocus. And in that refocus, we need to refocus on the one thing that is important. And of course, that Jesus answer, church answer is Jesus. We need to refocus on that. I'll tell you, last night, I was here, I was standing in this very place, giving this same message, but I was distracted. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. I had a hard time. Every time my phone buzzed in my pocket, I knew somebody was giving me grief about something with the Packers and the Cardinals. And the whole time I was sitting here going, I just want to be done. And I know that's a terrible, terrible thing to say, but I'm a human being. I just wanted to get home and watch the game. Now, you Broncos fans, I'm going long today, so you're going to have that same feeling inside, all right? Now, now the, the thing that I, I realized even last night, I mean, everybody's like, oh, man, are you okay? And, and really, I am. Uh, one, one, because the Packers didn't deserve to be there to begin with. Two, I grew up in Arizona, so I kind of have a little rooting interest as long as it was one of those two going to the championship game and it was impossible for it not to be. I'm okay with that. And then, three, it doesn't really matter. And I know that sounds difficult to say out loud, and when the Broncos win or lose today, you might be thinking, it doesn't matter. It matters emotionally for this short time. But what really matters 
is the big things that happened yesterday. I'm not sure if you heard, but Pastor Saeed, after three years of praying, was released from an irate. I know. That's, that's giving glory to God. That's what matters. Uh, Aaron came in. Aaron, uh, down here in the front, he, he had uh, uh, cancer show up. And he had surgery this week, cancer-free. That's what matters. That's right. God is good. And that's what matters. And I see these things, and we get wrapped up in something that, yeah, there's going to be a long nine months waiting for football season to start again. I already am feeling it. It started happening last night. I laid there awake. But you know what? It really doesn't matter as much as we make it think, as much as we want to put stock in it. What matters is Jesus and what Jesus is doing in us and what Jesus is doing through us and what Jesus is doing in spite of us. And that's where we have to refocus that. And we said we need to reignite the passion. John 10.10 says Jesus came to give us a full life. That Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us a full life and live it out abundantly. And so often we just exist. And so often we walk around moping just because we're going day after day after day in routine. But that's not what Jesus came for. So we reignite that passion inside for what Jesus is doing. And how we do that is we renew our hearts and our minds. We get our hearts and our minds back to where it needs to be. We offer our body as a living sacrifice on a daily basis and let him transform us instead of being conformed to the world. And as we do those things, as we refocus, as we reignite, as we renew, it'll get us on board with what God is going to do. And I'm excited about it. We need to be changed. I need to be changed. I am not okay with being okay. I'm not okay with where I am. I need to be changed. And and that is what we're doing. The problem is, is the world has done a great job conforming us to it versus the other way around of the church conforming them to God. And in that process, I'm not sure if you uh, are a friend of mine on Facebook, but I've been reading through this book called Kingdom First. And in the book, there's a quote that I just just stuck with me, and it stuck with me all week, and it said this, society has discipled the church well. As a result, one has to really squint to differentiate a Christian from his culturally secular first cousin. A plastic chrome fish on the bumper is a likely tell. Perhaps pleated khakis, not in our church. Other than a few funny evangelical phylacteries, we seem to have become virtually indistinguishable. Apparently, our one hour on Sunday spectacular, uh, spectacular, as prepped and polished as it may be, cannot compete with the endless grinding drone of society's indoctrination. We, the church, may need a different plan. We do. We need a different plan. See, God sent his son Jesus down here, and Jesus walked on this earth. And in the process of walking on this earth, he was teaching us things through his lifestyle and through his words. Well, two of the different things that he said at the end of his ministry, at the end of his earthly life, were found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, when he says, go and make disciples. And in Mark 16, 15, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And as we see those two big things, what Jesus has told us to do, the church doesn't. At least not enough. We have this idea of staying and saying, you guys come. We're going to say, hey, let's build a building and let's try and get people into that. But that's not the way this works. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say build a building and have them all come to it. He said, go and make disciples. He said, go and preach the gospel. Go. The churches have that mentality or is it more about pampering those who come versus equipping those to go. 
I heard an illustration when I was younger about a group of farmers who had a group of laborers that were with them. And harvest time was there. And so all the farmers gathered, all the laborers, and they got together in their tool shed, this giant tool shed that had all the tractors and all the farm equipment, all the stuff that is necessary. And they're looking at everything and they say, hey, we need to sharpen these tools. So they begin to sharpen these tools. We need to gas and grease and oil the tractors. Let's get all, <clears throat> excuse me, all that together. Get it all ready to go. And now we're going to talk about strategy, about going out into that harvest and getting it all. And then they wrap up and they all go home. And they come back the next week and they do the same thing. Well, they're missing it because the whole idea is to go out into the harvest, is it not? That's the same for the church. Jesus himself said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need to go. We need to be doing those things. And that is where we need to refocus on what Jesus said. We need to refocus on his life and some of the things that he pointed us to. And that's the reason why we came up with our five core values that are on the front of your bulletin. And they're going to be up here on the screen right here right now. The five core things are discipleship, their prayer, their evangelism, their connection, and they are worship. And in those five things, that's what Jesus has called us to do, and that's what we need to be doing. We need to be going out. We need to be connecting with people. We need to be worshiping him fully. We need to be discipling. And as we look at these things and we go, why aren't we? Well, it's because we get distracted. Like I said, it's easy to get distracted because we're human beings. It's easy to get off track on where we need to be. And today what we're going to do is we're going to start with discipleship. And we're going to break down these core values over the next few weeks. But what is it? What is discipleship? What's a disciple? Those are questions that many people in the church have. Because when you really think about it, when I was growing up, we had a discipleship program. But I have no idea what they did in there. I don't even know what it was about. What is discipleship. A friend of mine uh, was the discipleship and evangelism director over at the Baptist Convention of New Mexico. And evangelism, it's easy to measure. You can say, who's hearing the gospel? Who's responding to the gospel? Who's getting saved? Who's getting baptized? There's, There's tangible numbers behind that, and that's a good thing. But there's not a lot of tangible numbers behind discipleship, because discipleship is not a process, a program, it's a process. It's something that takes time. As a matter of fact, as we look at the definition of this, the basic definition of a disciple, which is what discipleship is doing, is making disciples. The basic definition of a disciple is a follower and a learner who assists in spreading of the teachings that they have learned. That plain, that simple. The thing is, it happens in every area of life. Discipleship happens all over the place. It happens at work. Maybe at some point in time, you have been an intern. Maybe you've been a student teacher. Maybe you've had that opportunity where you got promoted, but you had to learn from the guy who was taking that spot, and he was moving up, and you're moving in his thing, and and there's discipleship that takes place. They are teaching you. What's next? It happens on the field of play. That's what a coach's job is. It's to disciple, to teach, and to learn, and to take that knowledge and apply it. It happens at home. My kids wear Packers stuff. The reason why isn't because they were born in Wisconsin. The reason why I wear Packer stuff isn't because I was born in Wisconsin. I was born in Flagstaff, Arizona. I should have been cheering for the Cardinals last night. But my grandfather did a good job of discipling me and made me make the right choice. <laughs> now, you, you look at that and you, you say, well, how does that happen? I mean, my dad's a Bears fan. 
How does that happen? Well, it's divorce. That's the problem with divorce in life. And I tell him, I'm, there's only one reason why I'm glad they got divorced. Is that way I didn't have to be a Bears fan because the Bears stink. All right? That's the only reason why. I got to be a Packers fan instead. And the, the thing is, that is discipleship because you are teaching somebody what you've learned. And you're taking that and they're growing in it and it continues to happen. It can even happen on YouTube. How many guys have YouTubed something about their car to figure out how to fix it? How, yeah, exactly. Exactly. How many of us have YouTube because we have a question? We'll Google it, YouTube pops a video, we watch it. That video we watched up front with a little kid talking, Linda, 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 telling his mom that. Let me just tell you something. If that were me, I wouldn't have any teeth. I wouldn't have any teeth and I wouldn't be having it videotaped because they probably would have used that in the evidence in court. But the, 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 the real reason is no way I'm going to talk about that. But people are going to see that and they're going to think that's funny. Guess what? It's not going to be funny when that kid's 13. But once again, it's a discipleship process. We're teaching what we've learned on to the next generation. Now, I've said we could work at work. It could happen on the field of play. It could happen in the house. It could also happen at church. As a matter of fact, it should happen at church. As a matter of fact, it is the church. Discipleship is the church. The reason why we exist today is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus invested in 12 guys and three of them heavily to take a message for them to invest in other guys, to take it out, to take it out. And we are here today because of it. Discipleship should happen. It brought the church to where we are right now. And the thing is, even in the process, we have some good things that have come along because of it, and we have some bad things that have come along because of it. Some of the discipleship process is discipling that idea that everybody needs to come instead of everybody needs to go. So not everything is exactly where it needs to be, but God is using it. God is working in it, and we're passing it on to the next generation. And even more about... uh, than, than just the idea of passing on information to train up. A disciple is so much more. As a matter of fact, I saw this definition, and I thought it was great, so I'm going to read it to you. A disciple is a fully devoter, a, fo- a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, a lifelong worshiper, and a seeker of his ways, a learner of the truth, an influencer of culture, and an investor in his kingdom. With that, dis- that, that definition, discipleship is a whole life journey. That's why I say it's not a program. That's why it's not some eight-week class where you get to fill in the blanks and say at the end, hey, I'm finally a disciple. Check off that. Here's your certificate. That's not the way it works. We are constantly in a learning process. We are constantly being trained up. We are constantly being trained up so we could pass that on to somebody else and train somebody else. It's all about allowing our relationship with Christ to change us and change the way that we relate to others. That's what it's really all about. It's about developing the fruit of the Spirit. It's about developing our spiritual gifts and being more like and looking more like Jesus. That's when we become refocused. Because when we see him and we see what we're supposed to be and we know what's important, the rest of the other stuff, it's just filler. We get to experience Jesus and become more like him. It's about turning every moment of every day of our life into an experience with God. That's what this is about. Discipleship should be the result of a relational process, not a manufacturing process. It's about relationships. That's why connection is so important. That's why all of the things that we're, we're wrapping in these five are so important for us to be doing as we are following Christ. The goal of discipleship is to lead people closer to Christ, for them to become more like him, 
for us to become more like him and teach them to go and make disciples themselves. That is the goal of it all. As a matter of fact, we have to understand we're not just trying to fit people into a system. What we're doing is we're encouraging them to use the gifts that God has given you. Guess what? You're unique. I'm unique. We're different people. And God can use us in two different ways to invest into different people. And we need to understand that. We need to understand who we are. We need to understand what he's done for us. And we need to take that and invest it in others and encourage the same thing in them because they're unique. And God can use them in a very special way. Why should we do it? Why should we do it? Why should we even bother with discipleship? Well, I think the simple answer in it all is because God told us to. Jesus told us to. But even more than that, God's story has to be told. It's passed down from generation to generation. People must become living, breathing, gospel-centered vessels for him to use and pour out into others. That is what we're to do. That is why we gather here. That is why we go out from here, is to, to be charged up and head out. We're here today because Jesus poured himself into the lives of a few individuals who then poured themselves into the lives of a few individuals more. And they passed on to the next person and to the next person, and it shouldn't stop with us or to pass on and pour into that next person. Let me ask you a question. You think that's going to be easy? No way. You know why? Because people are messy. People have some serious craziness going on inside their lives. People have some serious issues. And being a disciple maker is, is not easy. Being a disciple is not easy. That's why the old saying goes that every disciple is a believer, but not every believer is a disciple. Because we don't like change. We like to do the same thing over and over again. We like routine. I'm telling you, probably the most disappointing thing that happens the day after the Super Bowl, I have to figure out what to do on Sunday afternoons until next September. Because you know what? There's no other really good sports out there. Football, they own a Sunday. And then when it's not, you get a little verklempt. February is a boring month. There's not even baseball. You know, it's just the way that it is. And, and we have to understand that we like routine, but God is trying to shake us out of that routine. God is trying to shake us out of being okay with being okay. He's trying to shake us out of being ourselves because he wants us to be more like him. And honestly, I think you have to be a little crazy to be a disciple maker. Somebody who's willing to go out of that way. And the reason why I say that is because you see things in people that they don't see in themselves. When you're going to disciple somebody, you see things in their lives that they don't see in themselves. And you're going to push them and they're going to say, no, that's not me. I can't tell you the number of people that told me when I was in junior high and high school that someday I'd be a pastor. And I told every single one of them, not a chance. Not a chance. Because I didn't see it in myself. I didn't even want it. I always wanted to be a teacher. That's all I wanted to do. And in that process, God used people to invest in me. He used my grandfather to invest in me. He used youth pastors and youth workers. As a matter of fact, two of my youth workers sitting back over here from, yeah, sorry guys, I just pointed out the fact that you're old because I'll be 40 and a little soon. And they, and they, were, my, they were my youth workers, uh, Bill and Nancy McComb back there. And, and, you know, people invested. And in that process of investment, God changed me. And he worked on me and he knew exactly what he had. And he used other people to see it. There are people that you're going to see 
differently. And the reason why is because you're going to have a whole new focus when you're focusing on Jesus. You're going to see people with his eyes. You're going to see people through his lens and what could be and the possibilities of what could be. And in that process, you're going to ask them questions. And these questions aren't easy questions. They're not the, uh-huh, and be done. These are deep questions to think about. What do you see God most at work at? What area do you see him most work at in your life? Ask this question. What's the biggest challenge that's facing you right now spiritually? When was the last time you asked either one of those questions? How about this? How about what fruit of the Spirit is most evident in your life right now, and which one's least, and why? When you start to see that and hear that from the guy who's discipling you, the woman who's discipling you, you start to see something and go, you know what? I need to see through different lens. I need to see the way all this works out. If you knew you could not fail, what would you attempt to do right now? It's questions we don't ask ourselves because all of those things take an evaluation, and sometimes when we evaluate, we don't like what we see. That means we have to change it. And in that process, it's taking place. It's discipleship. The goal of discipleship is to present people mature in Christ. That's what Colossians 1.28 tells us, to present them mature in Christ. There are stages involved. The disciple maker walks you through that process. It walks you through that process. And there's a number of examples of this process taking place in the life of Jesus. But what I want you to do today is I want you to open up the book of Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And I want you to see this process in place. And what I want to do today is I want to pray that God speaks to us in a way that, that I can't. In a way that is matters, no matter how enthusiastic I try and be, that he penetrates your heart with the words of his son. Jesus. So let's pray that right now. God, thank you for our time to be able to be together, and I pray that you speak and not me. I pray that this is all about you, all about us doing what you've called us to do, and challenging our hearts and challenging our minds to take that next step wherever we are in the process. We pray it in your name. Amen. Chapter 4 opens with Jesus being tempted in the desert. He's getting ready to start his ministry. He'd gone off to be alone for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan, and, and he's coming out of that And in coming out of that, he learns about John the Baptist's arrest. And this is what kicks off his ministry starting in verse 17. It says this, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he's laying it down, saying, My ministry's on, here we go. And this is the first thing he does in verse 18. It says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. And the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called to them. Immediately they left the boat and their fathers, and they followed him. Now there's a lot going on here and I want to give you a little bit of background to it because I remember when I first would read this, I would see, man, that is awesome. Jesus called these guys out and they just immediately dropped their nets. How'd they even know who Jesus was? How'd they know anything about him? Why did they just go? Well, if you see chronologically, John chapter one towards the end, I believe it's verse 42, you see John is introducing Jesus to a bunch of guys. Well, Simon and Andrew are in this bunch of guys and he introduces them To him as, this is the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. So they understood a little bit about who Jesus was. 
But they went their separate ways, and in the process of their separate ways, my guess is some curiosity started going. So if there is a process of discipleship, the first step is the curiosity. We are curious about who Jesus is, about what he's doing. We see him doing things in other people's lives, and we want that. And in that, we see the next step take place. See, Jesus comes to them, and he says to them some very simple words in verse 19. And they're simply said, but they're difficult to do. And so this is where we're going to camp out, is in verse 19 uh, for the rest of the morning. This is what he says. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, there's three steps within that small statement. Going from curious to follow me is the first one. The follow me is obedience and lordship. These first two words, they're they're an invitation from Jesus. You're curious, now I want you to follow me. The invitation uh, indicates that we are to accept him. Accept him as the Lord and Savior of our lives. We accept him knowing who he is. So, so the, the best way to put this, uh, there's a guy by the name of Jim Putnam who wrote a book called Real Life Discipleship, and he kind of broke these things down. And this is the head knowledge. And he calls it the head knowledge because that's where our head starts to understand who Jesus is. John 12, 26 actually talks about this. It says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So there's, there's a change in attitude of who comes first. There's a change from self-service to God's service. This is all up here in the head. It starts to take place. We start to understand that he is the Lord, I am not. If he's saying, follow me, that means that he's the leader and I am not. And we start to work that through in our minds. And it's a process. Because you know what? It doesn't always just instantaneously do it. As a matter of fact, I told you last week, it's a battle every day. Every day to wake up and say, God's the Lord, I am not. God's on the throne, I am not. And that is a battle that we have to fight. That's why it says to be a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12. As we see that play itself out, there's a change in attitude, there's a change in thought process, and we see it pick up here in John 14, verse 23. It says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So it talks about now there's a love that's going to start showing up that shows this evidence and it makes us evident for our willingness to want to follow. Now when we think love, do we think love in the head? No, it's the heart. So there's a transformation process that's taking all of our knowledge and starting to apply it to the heart. And it starts to make it go down. Realizing that we are the follower, he is the leader, And now we're going to respond out of love. That's where the next part of this this verse is when it says, I will make you. I will make you. This is surrender. This is submission. This is transformation. This is a change taking place in our lives. This is everything coming together. And if you are really looking at this and you want to wonder kind of where we got our slogan, come as you are, be changed, go change the world, check this out. Follow me. Come exactly as you are. Be changed. I will make you. Guess what he's going to do next? He's going to tell us to go, be fishers of men, to go change the world. It wasn't just some random thing that I came up with, sounded good and looked good on a pen. It's what God's called us to do, to come as we are, be changed, go change the world. I will make you. It's a process of transformation. It's a process of molding our hearts. 
It takes it from being a mental decision and following him to a, a transformation of, of changing our desires, changing the reason why we exist. The second part, going head to heart. Check out what it says here in Romans 8, chapter, uh, ch- chapter 8, verse 29. It says, For those who he foreknew, he also be, be, uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that it might be the firstborn among many brothers. He's trying to conform us into what his mold is. Instead of letting the world conform us, he wants to conform us. We see in 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So not just conformed, but transformed, to be changed. You guys know what transformers are? The idea of of those robots changing into something else, that is it. God is transforming us. He's making us into something else, into that same image from one degree of glory to another. For this glory comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Jesus saw what people would become. That's why he asked these guys to follow him. He saw. He saw, obviously, through Jesus' eyes. He saw what they were going to become, and he challenged them, and he said, come follow me. And let me make you into fishers of men. We need to understand the second step is a spiritual response more than anything else. About letting him into our lives first to know that he is Lord and then to apply it. And then to take it to that place. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us from the very inner being. I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19. He says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner being. He's changing us from the inside out so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. I mean, this is where that knowledge thing comes in. The strength to comprehend who God really is with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do we be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, it starts with us emptying ourselves of all the junk that we're holding on to. It's letting him take over and putting us off to the side. That's where it starts at. Jesus is moving in our lives and he's causing our hearts to change that leads that development to a character. See, a lot of times uh, people think that, that discipleship, people think that Christianity, people think that church is about getting information that leads to a behavior modification. But that's not it at all. We're not here to be modified. We're here to be made new, to be completely changed to take off the old, to put on the new. Jesus is transforming the way that we see the world. He's transforming our hearts. Look at the way he wants us to, to, to have that fruit of the Spirit. It's a relational thing. Think about this. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what we should be bearing in our lives. At the heart of our change, as we're changing, these things should be evident in our relationships. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that should be pouring out of us. Those are the things that should be evidence of that change, of this discipleship process that we are in, going from curious to follow me to let me make you. These are the things that he's making us. He's transforming us. And we see this all start to play out when we act it out. And that's where the fishers of men comes in. Let me make you fishers of men. This is the mission 
These three words, they, they affect what we used to do, they affect what we are doing, and they affect what we're going to do. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to change. Where did he find them at? In the midst of their daily, regular lives. And he said, I'm going to change you. And when you really think about this, think about this idea of of where Jesus found them, what he said to them at the very beginning of his ministry, and then think about the very last thing that he said in his ministry. What's the last things? Mark 16, 15, go and preach. uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go and make disciples. So he started it off with, I'm going to make you. Guess what now he's doing? He said, now go do it. Go do it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're following him. He's changing us, and he's changing us from, from our mindset. We're putting his kingdom first. We're seeing the way that he is. We start to care about what Jesus cares about. We start to look at it in that way. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 says this, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Isn't that just a great thinking there? That we're not living for ourselves anymore, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? A new, not a modified, not a, not a somewhat changed, not a polished exterior, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He entrusted us that message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are taking that message out. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Being on mission means we are acknowledging what our job is, what he has called us to do, that he saved us not just to go to heaven, but he saved us to go change the world. That is what we're called to do. You know, our mission isn't just to go to church every weekend. Part of it, but that's not it. Our mission isn't just to be, to be nice to others. Part of it, but that's not the primary. It's not just to even fill our head with biblical facts. You know what it also isn't? It's not even to put money in a plate so the pastor and the leadership can go do the mission for us. I say plate. We haven't had a plate for five years. Where did that come from? The, the, the thinking is, though, is that we, we have this idea thinking that, that as long as we do these little things, he didn't call us for that, though. He called us to go and change the world. The question is, though, is this. It's how. How. And some of you are like, okay, Matt, you're about peaking on time. That's good, because next week we're going to talk about how. So I want you to come back next week as we look at the how do we change the world. How do we make this discipleship process happen? How do we take people to the next step? And maybe that's what you're thinking. Where are you in those steps? Because before we leave today, I'd love for you to figure that out. Are you just the curious one? Are you the one that, that has heard about Jesus, that has seen Jesus, that, that has uh, seen him in the lives of others, and you're curious about what's going to be next? If that's you, I would love to take some time and answer your questions as best as I can. I don't have all the answers, but I would love to sit and talk to you about what is next, about that curiosity part of it all. 
Maybe you're to the next step beyond that. Maybe you're here because you responded with your head to follow him. Maybe in your mind you've said, okay, I understand who he is, but I'm struggling on a daily basis to put that actually into practice. How do you get from just following him to that next step? That next step where you are being changed, where you say, he is the Lord, I am not, let him do the work in me. How do we get to that step? Maybe you're here because you have made it to the next, next step, and you're being changed, but maybe you're kind of stuck in that process because we like the same. We like routine, and that change part of us is really eaten up on the inside of us. Maybe that's you, or maybe you're just having trouble going out because going out and doing and making disciples isn't easy. Maybe that's where you're at, figuring out what you should do and what he's calling you to do. I don't know where you're at, but I do want to challenge you with this. Figure that out and how to get to the next step. And it's even kind of a, a funny thing. When I was in, in college, we had a professor. We only had about 300 people in our school at the time when I was there. And we had a professor, and he was multiple professor over everything. I mean, if you went from one class to the next, it didn't matter. He's probably going to be teaching you. But he was very much about saying the same thing over and over again to the point where we made fun of him. Uh, Tim Reed, you guys know who I'm talking about. Tim, uh, Tim would always do the same thing. He had a center part, so he would do this, and his hair would fluff, and then he would wipe like that, and he would say, be a disciple, make a disciple. Or he would say, do the hair, do the nose, who's your Paul, who's your Timothy? And we laughed, because it was funny, because he would say it over and over again, and 20-something years later, I still remember it. The thing is, is I actually know what he's talking about now, because then it was a joke. Now, it means something. Who is your Paul? Paul poured into Timothy. Who is the person that is pouring into you? Who is your Timothy? Who are the one that you are pouring your life into? Who are you bringing along? Because we were called to make disciples. How are we doing that? Are you being made and are you making somebody else? Are you passing that on to the next generation? Where are we in that process? What are we doing with that? Who is your Paul? Who is your Timothy? Because you need to be a disciple and you need to make a disciple. I pray that's what you take out of here today that we are not just here to exist, but we are here to go and make disciples, to go and preach the gospel into all the world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your message. Thank you for the heart and passion of your son Jesus who poured into others, and those guys grabbed the heart and the passion of him and poured into others, who grabbed the heart and the passion and poured into others, and we are here because of it. Thank you for that. Thank you we get to even gather in this building today to hear your word about going and doing the same thing. God, I pray it's not something that we just hear and not something that we just feel good about, that's just part of the, the process, but instead, God, that it is a transformation that is taking place in our hearts and our minds right now. I pray for each person along the way, wherever they might be, if they're curious, if they're just starting to follow and trying to get that head knowledge, if they're, they're wrapping their, their hearts around it and, and letting you change them or even putting into their hands where their hands are going out. God, I pray right now that you're moving us along in the process because it's not okay to be right where we're at. We need to be closer to you on a daily basis. Help us in that area. If there's somebody here that is struggling with that, if there's somebody here that's trying to figure all that out, I pray, Lord, right now that you move them to that next step, whether that be them talking to me, whether that just be them talking to you. I pray that happens. pray it in your name. Amen.